You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Right. So, but you know, but that's not taking away from anything. I mean, I, uh, you know, some of my, uh, you know, like uh, rush moving pictures and twenty one twelve, absolutely phenomenal. There's absolutely no argument from me. What about Tommy but, Lee? Tommy Lee, excellent showman, excellent showman. Oh. Um, you know, um, he he really knows how how to be present behind the kit, and he's and you know he's a good drummer. He's got his licks and stuff, I, I but it's not something. Something Ow. like uh, I I would go along with uh, with uh, with uh, somebody like uh, Carmen Apiece or Vinny Apiece. Those okay. are those guys are really good technical drummers. How about Alex Van Halen? Um, awesome, awesome. Outside the box, outside the box. Totally driving, doing things all the time. Hmm. And, and another another one of those guys that's master of the song. Absolute slammer. He never yeah. play. He very rarely plays the tip of the stick on the ride. He's just smashing her. What does it do for me? Yeah, you must. There's a reason it's, that it's, you it's, chase all it's, these It's kind of hard because I do everything so I can fly fish. Like I do this job so that I can fly fish. I, uh, I think, I think it, 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 it's more the, um, it's more of a way of life than that, than for me. Than I uh, most of the stuff that I do towards the end is to go fishing. So. Um, like that's why I make money and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, uh, and and to be out in the outdoors and stuff like that. So what does it do for me? I think it drives me in in that way. But I think what I what I take from it is is there's a little bit of magic. There's a little bit of magic I get. I think from each one, be it a laugh or or a funny experience or a little story. Or, or something I can ruminate because I spend a lot of time driving around in the truck. You know, I'm a service guy, so I spend a lot of time on my own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I need to be sustained in between. I think, and what what it does is it fills, it fills my, fills my cup, so that I can I, I I can I can pull from the cup while I'm while I'm away from it. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Thanks so much for joining us this time around, and we're going to head out to British Columbia, Canada. We've got uh, Randy Pascal on the line from Coquitlam, B.C. Now, uh, I've been meaning to reach out to Randy for some time now. He is a gas fitter by day. He's a chaser of cutties, rainbows, drummer, fly tire, ripper of lips, and uh, apparently a metalhead. So I, I know we got lots of ground to cover. Randy, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. It's re- really nice of you to give me a call. Well, I, I, I want to dig into your, your history a little bit, kind of find out how you came to discover fly fishing, because I think we're going back to the vault here pretty hard on this one. Um, <laughs> walk, walk me through that journey, Randy. How, how did you start um, 
fly fishing? How did it all begin for you? Well, it started out with me many years ago uh, in the Fraser River. I, I grew up in Ladner, stealing bolts out of the old man's uh, toolbox and saving, finding your pop bottles and bringing them in for money so we could get snelled hooks and digging worms in the buddy's compost and biking out to the Fraser River and throwing a bunch of line out there and seeing what would bite. And we caught all kinds of stuff. And then uh, in my uh, early 20s, I had a buddy of mine, Randy Patton. He, his dad fly fished, so he says that we should try fly fishing too. So we used to go to Tunkwa once a year. we go on a camping trip and, uh, and uh, head out in his rubber raft and get, be out there for about an hour before the wind come up and blow us to the other end of the lake, and then we'd have to carry everything back to camp. We did that two or three times per weekend, and that was our fishing. Never caught a single thing. And then, uh, then you know, it sort of faded here and there. We did some other things. You know, we, when we camped, we always broke out the fly rod. I had a Canadian tire fly rod with a Shakespeare reel. Yeah. I had a, I had a floating line that you could cast it out. It was self-retrieved because it coiled back at you, right? You know, all, <laughs> all that stuff. I recall so, those. So, and then, uh, and then uh, things went along for a while, and then uh, we just did that kind of thing. And then I had a buddy of mine, uh, Neil Ponick, and he was a fellow drummer as well, right? And we were all metalheads, right? We were all into the metal scene and stuff like that, but we, we mm -hmm. liked the, the nature as well. So um, he got into fly fishing. He got this thing called a float tube. And... Uh, so we went out and we went out into Princeton, into Martin's Lake, and I tried this float tube thing. And uh, I'm telling you, it was hooked. Hmm. It was uh, it, it was just uh, the coolest thing to be down on the water. And, you know, I was really young and I was always pretty fit and stuff because of the job and stuff, right? You know, always working and moving around. So always fit and always good for the weather. Right. So uh, we started... Uh, I started float tubing and we did places like Sayers Lake back in the heyday. You know, uh, I can tell you, I can tell you it's exactly 40 minutes to kick across to the good side where you fish. <laughs> um, we, we spent many, 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 many trips on that lake because there was some fantastic fishing back there for brookies right. and, and dollies and rainbows. And uh, even there was even wild cutthroat throughout that chain. Um, so, and at that point, we were just, that's when the sink, the first sinking line came out. Mm -hmm. You know, there were, there were, everybody fly fishing was with a floating line and this and that. And then the sinking lines came out and they were thin and they were coily and you had to be real careful. And at that time, I didn't know how to cast. And uh, we couldn't afford lessons and stuff like that. Like lessons were far beyond us because we were a bunch of guys that were just working and playing in bands and playing rock and roll and partying, right? So right. Uh, that wasn't a big part of our repertoire. So, and then time went on and, uh, you know, we always did this kind of thing. And uh, I ended up... Uh, getting more and more into it. See, I had a problem with drinking at one point and I quit drinking okay. and I moved the obsession over to fly fishing. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and then I started really getting into it. And then my, my ex-wife at the time bought me a fly tying kit. Cause I had learned fly tying kit when I was a little kid. I watched a guy make a Royal coachman over and over and over again for a merit badge. And he, then he'd undo it and do it again. I thought, Oh, I can do that later on. This is, you know, you know, 15 years later. 
And uh, I tried and uh, broke everything off and I threw it away and it was like, oh, whatever. And then one day I got sick and I was at home for a couple of days. So I pulled it back out and I tied my first fly, which was a hare's ear nymph. And I brought it to the lake and I caught a fish and I was like, oh, it was all over. <laughs> it was all over. And back then there was no internet. There was no, uh, there wasn't even really any TV. There was nothing really on fly fishing. We, we lived through magazines, BC yeah. Outdoors and Fly Fishermen. Yeah. And uh, there was a couple of magazines. Like I read a lot of bass magazines and transposed that onto trout fishing. Okay. A lot of trout guys, they're not into points with secondary points. They're like, oh, you go out here and fish this depth. But, you know, it, it adds another angle to fishing that mm. most people don't have that, you know, throw the fly rod, right? Yeah. So... Then we started fishing more and more waters. And then eventually, at some point, it became apparent that we had to learn how to cast, right? So then we started learning how to cast. And then we heard about these things called coronamids. And then um, just through sheer will, sheer will of wanting to catch fish, we, uh, me and my, my, my best friend, Randy Patton, um, we decided at one point we had a discussion with a bunch of beers at the fire and we decided that we wanted to become that guy. You know, when you go to the lake and, oh, look at that guy. Oh, look at that, man. Every <laughs> cast, right? You know, we wanted to be that guy. And that's back when you were watching a guy and he'd hide his hands. He wouldn't show you what he was doing. Nobody told anybody nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. You go into a store and everybody give you the stink eye. Who's this guy, right? You know, and you didn't even talk to anybody. It was almost like going to the soup Nazi. You go to the counter, buy your shit, move to the side, and you know, okay, all no right. No fly and for you. That's right. No fly for you. That's right. Exactly. So mm, I remember but, that. I, and you know what? I hated that. I got to admit, that was one thing. Well, I, did I didn't. Like. We, but we worked for it. It made yeah. us work for mm. it. So we we started going to lakes and digging around in the shoreline and going, oh, look at that, eh? Oh, look at that leech. You know, going down at night with a flashlight, eh? And yeah. oh man, look at all this stuff, right? And of course, then we, we at that time we were tying many patterns and lots of patterns and this and that. And we would latch on to different patterns that would do the job, right? And we started moving them around. And to us, a successful pattern was not a, a pattern that worked good on this lake. It moved from lake to lake to lake. Right. Right? That's what we searched for. Right? So were these and more we, searching pat patterns, Randy? Like at that time, and... most of the, most of most of our stuff we were we were in the float tube and we were contour trollers. Right. Okay. Yeah. In other words, uh, I mean, depending on the line, when the slime line came out, it changed the game, right? Mm -hmm. At that time, there was lines and they were sinking lines. There were some, somewhere between four and six and who knows what they were, right? You know? Yeah. But, um, but, but when the slime line came out, all of a sudden you could fish that transition zone with a full line out with confidence, right? Sure. Because the thing about trolling is, is when you're moving into a spot, the fish will move off and you've got to have enough line out for them to come move back in and become comfortable before your fly goes by, right? Well, and you're fishing so, out of a float tube, so you're actually probably going at a more accurate speed of an insect, you know. It, it, exactly, for the most part. And and us being able to cover that transition zone between the littoral and the shoal, yeah. you know, being able to be, and I would try and, and target fish at that point before they come up on the shoal. We know they're going up on the shoal and we know they're going to feed. They're much more spooky then, but if I can offer them the right thing on their way up, mm. I'm in. And that was my philosophy at that point. Right? Love it. Love it. So, 
and it worked for us. I mean, we did we did lots of stuff, and then we learned about the Quranamid and stuff like that, and we started uh, uh, fishing, you know, naked before too much indicators and stuff like that came along, and then and then we heard about you know fishing static depths, and then uh, you know a lot of things happened in in the meantime. Yeah. Um, but uh, I ended up in competition angling okay. out of it. Okay, because I met a, uh, a fella, I think Deb may have talked about him, Wayne Yoshizawa. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they, he won a gold medal in, in on the island there when they had the nationals in, in on Vancouver Island. Okay. Stellar man, stellar soul, hell of a caster, man. He's the first guy that I ever saw throw consistently the, a full fly line, you know. Hmm. So, and this, and, and and when you start surrounding yourself with those people, yeah, that's when you start, you know, you have to up your game, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I play foosball every two weeks when there's no COVID, right? I got a group of guys, eight or ten of us, show up, and we, and we're, we're super competitive. And if a new guy comes to the group, we don't take it easy on him. We pound him. Either he survives <laughs> or he dies, right? And that's what I'm talking about about getting in with people that are superior to you. I think it's it's really good to get into where people drive you to extremes yeah. that you don't normally go to, and. And then uh, I fished with him a bunch. I met him because I ran the fly tying night in Ladner for through Fish BC. Right. And then I fished with him enough, and he says, "You know what? You're a really good rod. You can really fish. Would you come fish competitively?" And then that's when that started. Hmm. Are, is that something I I know with COVID and whatnot, things are a little different. Are you still? I mean, is that something you're still doing these days? Competitive angling. Yeah. Uh, I, I quit competitive angling, I think about four or five years ago. Okay. Um, I, I done pretty much everything I wanted to do except, uh, win a medal on a national level, but I won a gold medal in a local competition here. I came in 12th, like I was rated 12th overall out of, you know, however many anglers there were uh, one year. Uh, uh, I, 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 I learned a lot. But what happened to me, what happens in those things is you don't really want to target big fish. Each fish is, is, is the thing. One fish is, is a mark. The only time length really comes into play is when it's close, Right. right? It might give you a little bit more fish points, but the idea is to not to blank and to be catching and to be able to, to outnumber the other guys. Right. Sometimes it's, it, depending on the venue, it may not be a numbers game. It may be just one fish and you got to be better than everybody else to catch that one fish. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's a difference between 23 and 24 fish. Let me ask right? you, let me ask you this, Randy, when you, I mean, do you miss it at all? It almost like to me that like, I don't get competitive fly fishing. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I, I, I love fly fishing, but mm-hmm. I, it's the last thing I want to be competitive at other than it's, kicking buddies butt in the boat. It's not. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that that's, that's one of the fun things about it is it's a, every time you sit down beside somebody else fishing, it's competitive. Yeah. That's and, true. And be, you know, whether it be in your mind or whether it be in the physical reality, it's still competitive. One is going to do better or both are going to tie or whatever, but it, it, it's going to reflect on how your day's going to unfold, how well the guy next to you is doing. It, right. It's just a basic human nature thing. Yep. In this case, it doesn't necessarily come out about how well this is. This is the, the thing that's the stomper on competitive angling. It's not only how well you do against the guy you're fishing with and you you do against the pack. 
the real pressure is, is you have five other anglers depending on how well you do. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And it's your safe knit team. And it's your boys that you're out there representing. Right. So when you come together as a team and you formulate a plan and you stick to the plan and you come out on top, it's a team win. Cool. Because the team developed it and you're literally developing an approach for each venue. And you talk to guys and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, my, my buddy, John Wilkinson, I got, I introduced him into it, you know, that's, that's the guy I was trying to think of when I said, I'm going to reach out to your buddy. He's a, he, he's, he's a absolute monster of an angler, monster of an angler. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he, he got into it and he's into the team aspect of it. And when they develop patterns and, and techniques that move from lake to lake and I've done it with him and, and he's, he says, dude, take this, do this. And Hey, we're on. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and you know, different, you know, different lakes and, and a different thing and a different place to do it, you know, depending on, and, and, and really refining your technique down. If it's windy, go here. If it's not too windy, go over here. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. Like literally have the lake broken down into that because at this time of year, this is what's going to happen. Right. Cause you know, your quarry so well. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really well put, man. Hey, I, I want to, before I get into some kind of personal stuff, kind of get a feel for you, your neck of the woods, kind of your day to day, I want to ask you, uh, and you probably already alluded to this, but who who have been the main influences in your fly fishing? If you had to pick, you know, one, two, three people <laughs> that kind of, you know, kind of mentored you, who, who would you cite? I would have to say first and foremost, my uncle John. Mm-hmm. My uncle John was uh, was the guy who first put a fishing rod in my hand and said, "Throw that over there," hmm. and uh, latched onto a forty-inch pike, <laughs> you know. And you know, and um, fishing for perch and pickerel at Baptiste Lake. Hey, eh? family would take us out there. My my family never fished. Hey, eh? uh, so my I would say my uncle John for getting me into it. Yeah, and then. Uh, Mentors, mentors. Well, like, I, don't I mean, know. You, you talk about John, you talk about, um, uh, well, John, I, I consider these guys my peers because we're all, I feel that we're all developing along the same path, even yeah. though I'm not in competitive angling, yeah. I'm still, um, keenly interested on how to make fish react to an offering on the end of a fly rod. That's a um, great, I, that's a great quote, man. I'm, I'm, my my uh we had a blog and my uh my mission statement was dedicated to making the line pull back i saw that yeah. hey yeah so and so i'm keenly interested in that and i have quite a few like-minded friends that that we share ideas with and we bounce things off and if we're coming across new bodies of water we 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 throw ideas around to, to get things going. And, uh, John Wilkinson is definitely one of those. I figure he's one of my com- contemporaries. And I think in, in overall, I think he's a better angler than I am. I'm luckier, right. At some points, but he's a better angler than I am for sure. That's interesting. Uh, I like the way you verbalize that because I know, I know, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are. 
if you got that gut feeling and you just know and you just know I've always that. been like that. Even my buddy Randy Patton, um, he was always the researcher. He came up with the new patterns. Um, I mean, I was always I was always a good fly tire, but um he came up with, with new approaches and he'd be always researching and reading about stuff and new techniques and stuff. And I would be the fella to put them into action because I've just been a fishy guy all my life. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a, a, a saying anything it's just sort of a statement of fact it's just um, for some reason it's always i've always been lucky i got a couple buddies like that they just they just know how to find them and uh yeah it's uh i don't know if it's a learned thing or something you develop over time but uh, i know exactly where you're going so let's let's take a few minutes to get to know you and i know you're a big music guy so i really want to go down this rabbit hole um, okay. You're driving in your truck on the way to your favorite cutty backwater cutty area or wherever you're going. What's playing in the stereo? On oh, the stereo. Dude, it's so tough. It's name a few. So many I'm not going to limit you to so, one. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm just I'm just sort of thinking about about you know um um uh I have a a playlist that I play. It's called Flunes Tunes and it's got everything on it and everything that comes up on it that is is something that is usually something that i'll like at some point yeah but if i'm if i'm uh if i'm just cruising out and uh a, a good tune hits me the right way like we could think of something like uh sabbath bloody sabbath yeah something off the sabbath bloody sabbath just that uh old time jazz feel but yet it's got that heavy heavy sound and it's you know uh people think sabbath is is dark music but it's not as black as you might think no i agree so you get that kind of drone it's that droning kind of sound that ozzy had that and 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 ronnie james deal there's um (laughs) i love that sound and it's 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 that it's that it's the the way that uh the the god of thunder you know, play drums, and it's the way I only play guitar and geezer butler with those fat bass lines to just lead you all up and down the map. It's mm. it's a it's a wonder. Those types of songs, all of them, you know, uh, from the Dio to the Sabbath, the Ian Gillian, even, mm-hmm. you know, um, all those have riffs and and, and musical ability and talent mm. that that you can follow each instrument through the song and pick a different instrument each time and be amazed. Are you a Maiden right? fan? Uh, yeah, I am a Maiden fan, but not so much as Sabbath and Priest. Yeah. I'm more of a oh, yeah. more of a I like Maiden. You know, I've seen Maiden about you know nine times i think hmm. they came with everybody right yeah you know those so, are pretty but, epic uh, pretty epic shows oh yeah <laughs> for sure so but, as a drummer who's your go-to on the skins like if you had to pick uh, one or two drummers that really my speak my to guy that i really like and uh, that i would like to emulate at some point it would be uh would be uh he's just to- totally drew a blank tommy aldridge okay yeah, uh, you know he played with Ozzy. Yeah. He's played with uh, Pat Travers. He played uh, with Malt, uh, uh, White Snake. There's mm-hmm. actually a there's a there's a video of him on uh, on YouTube right now. If you wanted to see a guy play drums, he's he's playing "Crying the Crying in the Rain" mm, great song. Uh, by White Snake. And yeah. but it's another it's another band he's playing it with. But the camera is just on him, and it shows how he plays the song, and he builds the momentum. As he runs through the song, it's just absolutely amazing. And that's like 
like him and Bill Ward from Sabbath and all these guys, they play music. They don't give you a backbeat. They're actually playing music. They're orchestrated. Right. right? right. Yeah. And that's the difference. That's where the, where the greats are. They, they, they're not just providing a service to the song. They're, they're part of the song. What about Neil Peart? Neil Peart, awesome drummer. Um, his, his, his type of, um, his, uh, his, his drumming is, he's the best technical drummer possibly of our time is what I would definitely say. But for me, um, Rush, uh, I love a lot of their stuff. I've seen them live a couple of times, but for me, Rush isn't the best. And, and, you know, people are going to hate me for this, but my favorite album is Rush's first album, Mm. right? Before Neil Peart. Interesting. With uh, and, and it's a hard, it's it's harder, it's heavier, it's got more edge, right? So, but you know, but that's not taking away from anything. I mean, I uh, you know some of my uh, you know like uh, Rush Moving Pictures and Twenty One Twelve, absolutely phenomenal. There's absolutely no argument from me. What about Tommy but, Lee? Tommy Lee, excellent showman, excellent showman. Oh. Um, you know, um, he he really knows how how to be present behind the kit, and he's and, you know he's a good drummer. He's got his licks and stuff, I, I but it's not something something Al. like uh, I I would go along with uh, with uh, with uh, somebody like uh, Carmen Apiece or Vinnie Apiece. Those okay. are those guys are really good technical drummers. How about Alex um, Van Halen? Awesome, awesome! Outside the box, outside the box, totally driving, doing things all the time, hmm. and, and another another one of those guys that's master of the song, absolute slammer. He never yeah. play, he very rarely plays the tip of the stick on the ride. He's just smashing her, right? One you gotta love that. Go to fly pattern. You can't live without if you're chasing cutties. What? Number nine. <laughs> you you can't pick the same as Deb. You got to pick something different. <laughs> I, I gotta pick something different. No, I'm just screwing it. Okay. Well, okay. Well, what? What? what uh, there's a fly backup? I tie, but it's got an in. in uh, uh, it's got a. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, it's called the gimp. The it's gimp. not politically correct. That's okay. Uh, yeah, what does but it that's, look like? that'd be well. It's like a dragonfly pattern. Okay. Uh, dark green body, tungsten bead, eighth inch bead head. And uh, just, uh, you know, the softer feathers on the bottom of the pheasant tail, the ones that you have no use for? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. I I you know, there, there's the fibrous ones at the top everybody yeah. uses for mayflies and chronomids and yeah. all that stuff to wrap it up the hook and for legs and stuff. You go to the bottom of that webby part. I, I was looking to make a fly out of that stuff because I had a whole bunch of these feathers with all that left on it, right? I'm looking at some right now. Yeah, okay. So what I do is I take about, Ten of the, or eight of those fibers and tied on top of the shank behind the bead, mm. and then eight of those fibers and tie them on the side of the shank, and then eight of those fibers and tie them on the other side side of that shank, and then and then a few for the tail, and then the this dark green chenille. It's a it's a sparkly green chenille. Yeah, and it's a special kind. It's hard to find, but it, when you turn it, the green actually flashes silver, and it's the stupidest thing. But I'll take that thing out, and it and it's good for rainbows. It catches coho and you know all this stuff. But I'll take that thing out and dump it into a hole, and then count it down, and then jerk it like four times, eh? and then let it settle back to the ground, and then I'll jerk it, and then let it settle, and on the settle, the fish will take it. 
And you can also fish it dead drift. You can strip it. Coho love it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just the funniest. Uh, again, you know what, uh, it, when it, Randy, it sounds to me like, okay, I know you said it's like a dragon pattern, but you know what it sounds like a little bit to me is like a, 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 a caddis pupa. Well, sort of. It's a it's a carry it's a carry special kind of, but it, yeah. there's no hair all the way around. It's just a a bunch on top and a bunch on two sides. And it's called the gimp because you'd be bringing this thing back, and one time it'll come back up right side up. Right. The next time it'll come back on its side, and the next time it'll come back upside down. And the next time it come on the other side, and then three times right side up. It's just like it, it rides like it just gimps along, right? And it works. <laughs> well, I, I don't know why, I, but it, it, it's just something I stumbled on. Cool. Right? So. If you're talking fly fishing, and I, I got a feeling I know where you might go with this, but is there like a coffee shop, a fly shop? Is there somewhere you go to get your fix fly fishing when you're not fishing? Uh, well, yeah, uh, not so much a, a, a place I go. I mean, if I need some stuff, I go to sea run or hatch match or something like that but mm -hmm. for me to get my fix i i hit i hit uh fly bc yeah well that's what i, I hang thought. out on there and so you're right? known as floon on there right yeah that's right so that's right i've been reading your post for years and uh it's nice to finally chat with you but um <laughs> yeah good stuff yeah for, for those that don't know we talk about stillwater's site on, on this podcast a lot but fly bc that's uh we've actually had john alexander on the show uh, he was one of our first nice. guests. Yeah, I actually went to school with John. We graduated together, but um, I always love seeing what uh, him and Ed are up to and uh, been doing good things for a lot of years, for sure. They sure have. They sure have. It wouldn't be the, the same without those boys. Favorite sports team. So are you a sports guy? Like, are you? Yeah, so, well, I only follow, I, well, I follow figure skating. No. <laughs> really? Who's your favorite well, figure skater? Uh, the, uh, the wife likes it. I like what the wife likes, but I like watching it. I've watched it ever since I was a little kid with my mom. Right. I don't, I don't know any of their names besides Tanya Harding. <laughs> You're going back here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, um, I would Canucks. I'm a Canuck fan. Yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. Um, biggest lesson that you've learned on your fly fishing journey so far. So if, if you had to kind of distill down what fly fishing brings into your world what does it do for you what does it do for me yeah you must there's a reason it's, that it's, you chase all it's, these it's kind of hard because i do everything so i can fly fish like i do this job so that i can fly fish i uh i think i think it it, it it's more the um it's more of a way of life than that than for me than I, uh, most of the stuff that I do towards the end is to go fishing. So, um, like that's why I make money and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, uh, and, and to be out in the outdoors and stuff like that. So what does it do for me? I think it drives me in, in that way. But I think what I, what I take from it is, is there's a little bit of magic. There's a little bit of magic I get, I think from each one, be it a laugh or or a funny experience or a little story or or something I can ruminate because I spend a lot of time driving around in the truck. You know, I'm a service guy, so I spend a lot of time on my own. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I need to be sustained in between. I think and what what it does is it fills it fills my fills my cup so that I can I, I, I can I can pull from the cup while I'm while I'm away from it. I've not you heard know? it put any better than that. 
I liked what you said when you said, I do everything so I can go fly fishing. Because I could totally relate to that. Because it's like, yeah, well, you know, we do our day jobs. You got to pay the bills. You got to do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, I mean, is there any better feeling than whether, you know, I'm a bit of a weekend warrior, you know, because I'm pretty much Monday to Friday. But when you get out there on a Saturday or Sunday morning and it's quiet and the sun's coming up and the fish are starting to rise and the tournaments are starting to pop, it's hard to put a value on that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because I think, I think it, it, it speaks a lot deeper than, than what, uh, than I can even articulate. It's, it's something mm-hmm. that, that, that you go back to because, because you have, you need or have to it's not even because you want to you need or have to and again again i think it's it's a matter of filling up so that you can carry it with you yeah i think and and i'm fortunate i can i can literally draw in that cup 10 minutes from my driveway because we also run the fraser and you would be amazed how wonderful it is to just push off the dock and all of a sudden you're your own little unit and you're on the water and you're in a whole new community. The tugs are going by and, you know, they're aware of you and if and they slow down and all of a sudden you're significant and, you know, and there's, there's wildlife and if you know where to look for it and all those things. And I, we're able to do that. So good stuff. Fill in the blank for me. Uh, when I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Uh, probably some form of, of, of work. I would say, because I run my own business, so I do everything. I do all the work. I do the accounting. I do, Hmm. you know, uh, sales. I do everything. So, Have you been a gas um, fitter most of your life, or is this... uh, Ever since I was 15 years old. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, long, long time. Cool. Long time. I started doing summers with the old man, right? You, uh, strikes me as you're kind of all in whatever you're doing. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I'm pretty much uh, uh, boots in. I was going to ask you the best job you've ever had, but I have a feeling you just answered it. But um, best gig yeah. you've had, or maybe it was in the band, uh, you know? Well, a lot, lots of things. I mean, you know, uh, a great man, Joseph Campbell, once said, follow your bliss. Yeah. And uh, and uh, my bliss at one time was playing drums in front of a crowd. There's nothing, there's nothing more of a rush than that when you have a crowd in the palm of your hands. Yeah. But it turned into fly fishing. It turned into the whole experience from tying flies to tying up your leader to doing the correct knot. To, there's there's satisfaction in pulling off a good knot if, if you know where to look for it, you know, and mm-hmm. all those things, you know. So um, it, it just it just becomes uh, it just becomes all part part of the of the, yeah. the same parcel. Right. I got you. So. uh jumping down this random question thing, but um, best fly fishing location you have been that you're willing to say? <laughs> best fly fishing location I've been that I'm willing to say? I would, oh man, there's, there's, I've had so many good experiences in so many different places, but I mean, some of them are many, many years ago. I would have to say right now, the most recent one would be have to be Douglas Lake Ranch. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, we, the, we hit the lake and it was on a high cycle and we ran into a whole bunch of, in, in, in Stony Lake and we ran into a mess of good fish on a damsel hatch. And wow. it was real, it was real special. What's your go-to damsel pattern? Ah, uh, I like a, just a, a micro leech with a gold bead. 
<laughs> just to make release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I'm, I'm an impressionistic guy. I've always been. I've always been more than let the retrieve dictate what the fly is. That way, I can use one pattern, change retrieves, and be in several insects. Right. My favorite pattern you know? on that is like it's a it's a we call it ginger, but it's kind of a tan ginger color with a gold bead. We call it. Uh, I think Georgie Damsel. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a uh, fish that fly for many many years. Yeah, that's yeah, money. That's a good one. Good one on Leighton. Well, I was using and Tunqua. I was using that at an undisclosed lake last weekend, and it was the only thing that worked for me. It was uh, lights out on a damsel oh. match. Oh well, yeah, you get that right color, and you know, that thing has the tail that moves. You ever watch those naturals? Yeah, they look almost like a big coronamid swimming horizontally, right? Exactly, and then yeah. the color, like the ones that I see swimming, are almost yeah. rarely green. They're almost always tan. Yeah, they, they can be, or at least tan backed. Another thing yeah. that I think that people make a mistake when they're tying their damsel patterns and even their mayfly patterns to a certain degree is putting legs on them. A swimming damselfly, they tuck their legs in. Yeah. They, like I said, they almost look like a coronamid. Uh, yeah, you know? 100%. So, we were so, on I mean, uh, Pass Lake a while, uh, a few years ago, and these damsels were popping up all around us, and I was watching them, and I was like going, I, I, you hit it on the head. I, I never saw legs. I just, yeah. I just, I just see that marabou wiggle. You know, yeah, that's right. And then when the casing, you know, insect hatching insect is a pretty cool deal. What they do is they use their casing to break the surface tension so that they can crawl out. Right. So it's so that that casing is their transition through that zone because they can stand on it afterwards because of the tension underneath it. I always thought that was a wonderful thing when that hatch opens up on top to allow that bug to emerge, unless he's crawling up a stem. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's his gateway into our side of the world. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And you just gave yeah. me a great idea for a pattern. Huh. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, like these emergers sometimes, I'm thinking you fish a damsel on an, emerge, on an emerger, like you've got somehow, now this would be a lot of work, but you somehow try to duplicate a floating shuck and then the damn, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they've got, they've got a, they've got a few a few patterns like uh, that have deer hair stood up as an upright post, right? To keep the hook down in the film, right? Yeah. So you basically, what you need is something that'll take on the water right away, so that you've got something that'll get in the film and stay down there. Yeah. And then the deer hair to hold it upright, right? I like it. And then you can see it too, right? See the way you're going there. That's what I love about fly tying. It's not it's not copying other people's patterns. It's looking at the yeah. the best photos you can find of insects, you know, in your area, and trying to duplicate them just kind of with a blank canvas. Or taking information and converting it into. That's where the number nine came from. Okay. The num the number nine came from me going to a buddy of mine who turned me on to this particular area. And I said to him, and he always like he he was a uh, you know spin fisherman and a steelheader with center pin or whatever and all that stuff, and he and he's a local guy, Bruce Young, who's uh who's first light on the board, and he he got me into this area that I'm fishing, and I went to him and I said, look man, if you're gonna throw any lure, for cutthroat, what would it be? And he said a gold Hildebrand. So I went, huh, okay, gold, mm -hmm. right. So that's where I came up with the underbody. And then that Palmer chenille was a couple of different experiments. At first, when I first tied it, it ended up straight out. So it helicoptered in the, in the current, right? So it twists your tippet up. 
So I quit. And then I went and I tried it again and I put two turns in the front and that stopped that. So I put flashaboo in the tail and man, I caught a lot of fish. I started changing the underbody sometimes, a little bit of copper, blue, and it was working for coho. And then Johnny had a pattern and maybe one day he's going to share this pattern with the world and then there's going to be a lot more fish caught. It's called the cutter. And that had elements of pink in the tail. And I said to Johnny, I said, you know what? I'm going to try that on the number eight. Uh-huh. Right. And I tied it on and I went out with Tim, my buddy, the next week. And uh, we just lit it up. It was just incredible. And we're just like, get out of here. <laughs> and you know how you have a day and you're thinking, okay, well, we had it there or whatever. It kept working and it worked and it worked and, it, and it's caught everything. I mean, we're talking whitefish, kokanee, chum, coho, pinks. Uh, rainbows in lakes, rainbows in rivers, a, a steelhead. It, it's just been incredible. Wow. Sounds pretty versatile. Yeah. So, but that all came from going to my buddy, who I know is the, is a cutthroat master with spinning gear, saying, hey, if you're going to throw something for cutthroat, what would it be? And it expounded from there what over is, a period of about three years. What is it you enjoy so much about chasing cutties? Because I know that's a big part of what you're up to. <sighs> Because, because they're, they're, they're sort of a confounding uh, species. And first of all, the fact they're everywhere. Everywhere that you go and everywhere that you go in the lower mainland has a potential to have cutties in it, be it a ditch or a mm-hmm. slough or the ocean or a lake or as long as it's connected to, uh, to uh, a river or something like that, chances are there's going to be cutthroat there. Sure. Um, but to to find them consistently because they're gypsies right so to find them consistently what you have to do is you have to amass yourself places where you've caught them before so each time you go to go fishing it spawns a new hope because you go there and they could be there and they could be in there thick as a matter of fact i have been fishing for cutthroat and gone back to a spot I had just fished just on a feeling and they had shown up. Hmm. And you you sort of, for a while, when when you're on and you're finding them all the time, you sort of feel like you have this symbiotic relationship Hmm. with the movement of the fish in your area. Sounds almost intuitive. Well, it's it's intuitive. It's, It's more like putting your finger on the pulse. Right. And then when you're out of it for a little while, your finger's off the pulse and you get a little iffy and you start wondering about this spot and about that spot. And then you start thinking about, okay, well, they're here all the time. Can I catch them this time of year? If I'm going to fish this time of year, where should I be? And, and it moves on and on. And and, and the, the, the whole thing about cutthroat fishing on top of all that is when you're doing it, there's, you never know what's going to take the hook. Right? Yeah. Oh, for because sure. You know, you can catch a coho, you can catch a chum, but you can also catch a cutthroat. Or a dolly. That, that not, well, you, in some places you can catch some flounder. You know, I've caught a crab, <laughs> you know, a keeper crab too. I released it. Don't worry. I released it. No crabs were, no crabs were harmed here. <laughs> Good stuff. We're chatting tonight with Randy Pascal. Randy is out of Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, avid, avid uh, chaser of cutthroat trout in the uh, in the Fraser Valley, Lower Mainland area. Rainbows, he's an avid drummer, metalhead. Uh, 
self-admitted metalhead fly tire <laughs> um is uh, aka floon on fly bc if you frequent that site man I, I i'm i'm really enjoying chatting with you tonight man it's it's awesome thanks thanks i'm having i'm having fun too so i want you to uh paint us a picture because i i think i might know where you're going to go with this but put your artist hat on and paint us a picture of where your perfect day is what does it look like is it you know is there a hot cup of coffee in the morning are you on a can i go back a few years yeah rewind go ahead yeah yeah um after the slide happened in uh in harrison lake up to shahala sir yeah well no there's a slide in the lake itself Mm. it was a big monster slide half half of a mountain fell off in the lake right and for about Four years, uh, the outflow of the Harrison colored up. It got this green tinge. And what happened was, is the cutthroat started moving up out of the Fraser and haunting in the braids. In other words, there was numbers of fish and there was lots of them and they weren't leaving. They were taking up residence in in the river during the winter months. Hmm. And my, like... We were going up and we were getting there at first light in, say, say uh, October or so. So we're probably talking about 6.30 or 7 o'clock. We'd roll up into Kilby and we start getting the boat ready and there'd be two or three of us and we'd be watching the water as we do so. Sometimes we wouldn't even get to leave the beach. There'd be a big school come rolling up onto the beach and we'd abandon putting the boat together, get the rods together and be running over and <laughs> catching nice fish, 14 to 16s, bull trout we were catching. There were schools of rainbows or probably immature steelhead moving around all the time. I mean, it was incredible. And then we'd take the boat up and we would pick a set of braids and we, you know, we'd bring lunch and a thermos of coffee and, uh, we would just go until it gets, you know, I got adept. I'd been running that river for quite some time. We'd run it back in the dark and then, you know, picking up the boat in the dark after a long day and catching, you know, you know, we, between three of us, we, we'd catch, get into 50 fish, wow. you know, and some quality ones, you know, it'd be, it'd be, un, it wouldn't be, or it would be common to get, you know, a half a dozen fish in there from 17 to 20 inches too, right? I mean, because these fish, they they really liked it. But again, now the Harrison has has uh, cleared up again. Uh, we got to go back to those sparse, sparse flies and really look for the fish in the grass again and, and wait for those schools to move in and move out of the Fraser. They're just not mm. habituating in there anymore like they were at that period. But that, that was something else. I mean, we were catching... I can go back on my pictures and look at those days and you'd look and every weekend there'd be just pictures of fish after fish, just gorgeous cutthroat and rainbows and bull trout, right? Right. What do you mean when you say up in the braids? What do you mean, what do you mean by braids? Well, in a, in a, in a gravel bottom stream, okay. what happens is um, you would have a, a harder compact pieces of substrate. So, and then as the water went over top of that, it would dig out underneath. So you would get fingers of of, uh, of gravel that would poke out into the flow with deeper parts on the other side. So you right. could literally walk out along these gravel pieces and fish these pieces yeah. and then move back in and then move on to the next one and fish that piece. And each one would have little dark spots in it. Right. And these would hold fish. 
So like a little right? delta, like a little kind of fingers. Yeah, but multiple, yeah, multiples of them, right? right. Yeah. So right. you'd pick different parts of the river. You'd be going up and going, oh, look at that set. That looks fishy, right? Mm. And then you pull over. And instead of, you know, going through, going through and fishing for a long time, and if you didn't run into school, maybe catching a fish, you'd be catching a fish or two per parade, right? right? And then you'd be racing in front of your buddy and, hey, you low hold me and, you know, and th- let the fun begin. What do you... What do you look for when you first hit, say, a new, say you're chasing cutties and, and you're in an area maybe you haven't been or spent a lot of time in? What do you, how do you read the water? Because that, I always think that's interesting. As somebody that's been doing it a really long time. Well, it, 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 it all depends. There's so many venues we can pick. Are we talking salt water? Are we talking, we're going to a slough? Or are we talking? I'm thinking like estuary kind of stuff. And in, in an estuary thing, well, the, the best thing I can say to you, is to find yourself a creek mouth, right? Right. And and then depending on the time of year, you want to fish in relation to the creek mouth, not necessarily in the creek mouth. In the summertime, you want to get up in the creek mouth, the fish are going to want to drop their temperature a little bit. Right. But in the wintertime, that water comes out, maybe you should be 20, 30, 40 yards on either side because that's still an avenue of, uh, of, of forage, right? Right. And it still makes the fish habituate there. The best thing I can say is is what you're looking for is when the tide starts to move, somewhere that creates a back eddy. So you get a seam between two different speeds of water. Mm. So And that's where it's going to gather food, right? And that's what's going to pull in the cutthroat. Somewhere with a slow, sloping beach so that fish can push forage up. And then the once it gets shallower, the fish can't move up or down. They can only go left or right. So they'll have a few fish pushing the forage up, and when they go left or right, the other ones swoop in, very similar to sharks, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the best areas in the salt are places that form a back eddy both ways that have a creek near it, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Maybe a couple of boulders here and there for, for them to have current to hide from. Mostly, you know, uh, fist-sized gravel, that type of thing. Lots of shells is nice, you know. If you can find oyster beds or things like that, weeds are good, things like that. Mm. But mostly those current seams and those current rips, right? And depending, some play, and, and when it comes to the salt water, sometimes it's good to be there all day just to see what happens because they're not there now, but maybe the conditions are going to change to pull them in. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and not only that, no bit, no beach has fish every day. You have to be lucky and get there, and then put it on the list, right? Mm. So you got to put your time in. It really sounds like that's a big thing with you putting your time in, paying your dues. But it's also an adventure. Mm. Every morning, it's an adventure. When you when you go when we when I get in that truck and I go outside, I have an expectation, I guess. But I have I, I don't have anything that you know I'm I'm going to come up a winner. I just have an expectation that I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for these fish. I think. Are you a gear guy at all? Like, do, do you are, do you get caught Sturgeon. up in the type of no? But I mean, when I say gear, I mean oh. like what kind of fly rod are you throwing? Are you like oh, I got to fish a sage? I got to fish a TFO? I got to. Is there well, what's your go to? I've got several. I've got several. I mean. Uh, I've got several rods. I would say I would have to say my uh, favorite rod is my nine and a half foot RPL. Yep, uh, it's an old school rod. Yep. It's 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 fairly heavy for the generation. 
you know, for the generations of rods that we have now, but it does everything I want. It's a six weight. I use it for all my sinking line fishing, which is what I do 90% of the time. I don't, I'm not one of those guys who hangs a lot of bobbers, right? That was the stick back in the day though. Yeah. And I have another RPL plus, which is a three piece, 10 foot. And that's a five weight. And I like to use that for chironomids or throwing a dry line and for uh, cutties and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I have a couple of sweet sticks I got a, a, a Winston mm. that's, that's a real nice stick that I bought just for the type three line. I bought a, a real nice reel for it and stuff. And, uh, yep. and then I've got one other, my, my cutty rod, my dedicated cutty rod is, a it's a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Radian. That's a, a Scott, Scott Radian. Scott, yeah. Yeah, Scott yeah. Radian, nine foot, four weight. Mm. So, and then I paired that up with a, with a hatch reel because cutty fishing is my thing, right? So you got to have a little bit of bling for that, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So are you, do you do any still water fishing yourself? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I you know, in, in all honesty, when, when I talk about starting out fly fishing, I never fish rivers. I, I never fish rivers at all. Mm-hmm. I fished just lakes. Lakes was my thing. And that's what got me into comp- competitive angling because I knew lakes. Right. What is it you don't like about indicator fishing? Just curious. Well, it's not that I don't like it. I think that indicator fishing is a really good method. Yeah. But I think I think indicator fishing um, detracts in fly fishing. When I'm when I'm sing fishing is a funny thing. It's a form of hunting. But mm-hmm. I said this on the forum recently. It's the only form of hunting where you get to be the prey. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I never I mean? looked at it that you, way. And 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 it's your job to be the prey is to to flee or to be just minding your own business, but to maintain depth mm. and to be moving at a reasonable pace, or to do what it is to attract the fish, to instill the fish to strike, that type of thing. So uh, that's where I like being the sinking fly, sinking line. When I'm on my game. I'm connected to that fly. I can literally almost feel when I, in between my strips, the line letting the leader go slack between the fly. Right. I, I can literally feel that. You like to be in so, touch. Exactly. So, and then I have a myriad of, of, of techniques and lines so that I can stay in the zone where I believe the fish are. Right. And now all of a sudden... I have control of the situation. I can put the fly down there. I can count it down to different levels. If I find that I'm only getting hits at a certain at a certain part in the retrieve, I can try and change my line to try and stay in that area. Yeah. Right. Uh, I can change my retrieve. I can, I can do so many things. Where besides the fact of taking an offering and setting it in a zone, right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? I like and, what you uh, said there about the, the hunting because you're right. When you're hunting, you're just looking for something. But when you're fishing, you're trying to be the prey. Exactly. And not only that, when 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 I'm fishing and I'm fully engaged and when the day disappears, I will often catch myself drooling. I will have my mouth open. Because I am so engaged on what's happening on the end of the line and what I'm feeling in my hand. Like when I'm fishing the shrimp, I know that I've got it dialed because I will be bringing that fly back and I will feel literally what's an, an absence of weight 
between me and the fly, which means that a fish has come along, foraged, sucked in my shrimp, and kept swimming with me. He doesn't know. He has absolutely believed that he's eaten a forage item. Hmm. And I have to strip, 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 then set the hook to get him because I've got to get up to where he's swum to and is foraging. Yeah. Right? And when I'm getting hits like that, I know I'm fooling them. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's different. I mean, a sh- I mean, a hit from a shrimp or or a damsel and, and or or chronomids are, are are different than hits from things that can bite back, like water boatmen and dragons. They yeah. slam them because yeah. I don't want to get bit, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it's a good meal, but oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that too when they're going the opposite directions, like a yeah. freight train. <laughs> it's just like Johnny, Johnny has a retrieve that's that works really really well. But when you get the one going in the opposite direction, and basically what you do is you take your fly out, whatever you're fishing, usually a blob or a dragon or something like that that you can move quickly, and you just count it down to the bottom of the lake, and then you just put your hand in and you do the rip. You just take and pull about four feet of line, just rip, and then just let it sit there. Right, and then. And then let it sit there because what happens is, is there's fish down there. And all of a sudden that thing goes, they, they go, what was that? Mm-hmm. And then they go and have a look and then it moves again. They're like, what was that? And then eventually if there's a few fish there, one goes, it's mine. And then you go to rip it and snap. <laughs> <laughs> Do you fish a lot of blobs? Oh yeah. I love blob fishing. I love blob fishing. It's uh, it's a it's, it's a it's a stupid fly. It is, but it works. I've I've uh, I like them better than boobies. They cast better than boobies. I don't have to. Yeah. Any line that I use is applicable with the blob because the line it sinks to the same rate as the line. Right. Yeah. Um, I've caught fish. It's buoyant, with it right? Just, well, yeah. Well, it's neutral buoyancy sort of. But once yeah. you get the hook in there, right, it doesn't float around. And not only that, it goes across the weeds. It's fairly weedless, right? Yeah. You know, so if you catch a weed, just continue to retrieve because chances are you're clean. What's your you know, go-to I mean, color? Like going for it. What's your go-to blob color? Uh, I can't tell you because Lloyd Horwood would kill me. Okay, don't tell. That's us. Brian. That's Brian Chan's fishing buddy there. He gave me that. But yeah, there, there's this pink one we really like. Tequila. Tequila's good. Yeah. yeah. You ever tie yeah. them in green? Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Uh, you should tie them in all colors. I think that they're all work at some point. I had some good I mean, luck recently they? on like a, a green one with like a blue bead and a black limey, tail. Limey green? It was, limey yeah, it green wasn't quite more... chartreuse. It was, no, it was more more like that crystal shrimp kind of green. Oh, yeah, like an olive yeah, olive yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, Interesting, yep, eh? Like yep, it's, yep. it's endless. There's some guy in New Zealand that fishes different colors of beads on a hook. And he, 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 he just keeps changing beads and all of a sudden he's bang, he's banging fish yeah. and it's all just, he's just fishing beads on a hook. Well, it's funny. So something I, I like talking about a lot is different species that we have. And, uh, you know, I can't speak globally, but in our area, we've got quite a few different species of rainbow trout and they all act differently. So if I'm fishing a, a lake that's full of Fraser valleys that were probably raised in a hatchery, I know they're pellet fed and I think the blobs work like crazy and not only are they taking them as you know um like zooplankton and or whatever or or tiny little shrimps or uh, shrimp or uh, but they love I, they know, love them and panas I, I struggle with panas on those things uh, yeah well no I've caught plenty of panas on it uh okay. try it there's there's a sunburst color okay I just try an all sunburst one 
Uh, that, that's a real good fly, Jocko Lake. Oh yeah. But, okay. But uh, uh, the blob, the blob, the first time I was introduced to blobs is like I say, I had competition fishing. So I think it was in 2009. Mm-hmm. I uh, it was my first competition. We're fishing in in Quebec. No, no, it was my second competition. We're fishing in Quebec, and I didn't believe in them, right? You know, these guys are showing me these things. I'm like, whatever, you know. So. And then we we're allowed to fish multiple flies, eh? So we got on this thing, and as we're standing there, before the gun goes off, we could see these fish rising right by the dock, and no one's seen them, eh? So we're nudging each other, going, we're going to go right over there, right? So <laughs> the gun goes off, everybody takes off, and we're like, okay, and we just sort of floated in there. And this guy takes the three of those blobs, a pink one and a yellow one and a tequila one, and he drops it in there, and he just lifts his rod. And now come these brook trout, and there's like five of them, and they're rubbing their face on these things, and they're they're rolling in the line and stuff. And I'm just going, I've never seen nothing like that in my whole life. He never actually hooked a fish, but man, oh man, were they ever interested in it. So ever since then, I thought, you know, maybe there's something to this blob stuff. You'll laugh. I, I um, My wife and I were uh, in England in the early 90s, and I bought a, a fly pattern book it was bob church's fly patterns and yeah. it, it was full of boobies and blobs and and, all these, <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at him going well that's not gonna work here that's not, <laughs> that's not and i think if i could go back in time and if i was tying those flies 20 30 years ago can you imagine no no i can't yeah, yeah exactly you'd, you'd have been the man i'd be reading your book by now <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I just i just kicked myself for that because i i still go to that book quite often and go yeah that's not going to work because there's some patterns in there <laughs> you know they're, when they're fishing those locks it's a different game and they're mostly stalkers right they're not fishing yeah. for a lot of wild fish and i think that is a bit of a you know, it's a little different than, than fishing, you know, like some, say some streams up in the, in the Whistler area for wild fish. It's a little different fishing. That don't don't kid yourself, buddy. I, I was catching summer run steelhead on the blob just last year. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Catching them on swinging them through, through a little Creek and picking up, you know, fish yeah. to eight pounds on, on well, the blob. Think about it. That could be, it could, that's the one thing. It could be a lot of things. It could be a, an egg. Could be an egg pattern. Hey, I be... was stripping it. I would, I would a let it swing off egg. this ledge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those electric eggs. <laughs> but no, it's just, but I, I would let it swing off the edge, and then I'd rip it. Eh, like I was telling you, a giant just go rip, and then just let it sit there, and then I go rip and let it sit there, and just go boom. Yeah, steelhead. I wow. couldn't believe it myself. We were laughing like idiots. That's crazy. And yeah. it's funny. I was on a lake last year, and I, I, I'm like, I said to my buddy, okay, I'm gonna try a blob because it. We did some throat samples yeah and they were hitting these uh you know how you get the i'm not real good with this but i don't know if it's zooplankton or just daphnia da, thank you daphnia just yeah. big globs of and and they were kind of pink so i'm like okay yeah. put this kind of flesh thing on i had it on an indicator soon as mm-hmm. it went out boom and it was like fish 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 and i couldn't I couldn't believe it. And I wasn't moving it at all. I was just fishing it static, like totally, yeah. totally static. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Hey, and, and it's, it's, it's what it's, it's making the fish put things together in its brain that it doesn't even mean to. Right. You know what I mean? It must be food is what it must be is, is what it says to it Yeah. for some reason. And, and, you know, uh, 
I, I don't know what it is because I've caught I've caught fish with the blob, putting the rod under my arm and just two handed strip as as hard as I can and wham and getting them. I've I've had I've had them just creeping along, just pulling it one foot at a time right. with a pause and one and just having it go. They and literally they come along and sucked it in like it was a damselfly or something. Just well, I and, always think and big fish too, fish you wouldn't figure would be so stupid. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, they they might not have seen it before too. I think I think a lot of it is like I think when I fish rivers, okay, the fish have to be more opportunistic because things are floating by. It's like you you grab it now or it's gone. Yeah, and yeah, and when you strip degree, yep. super fast a blob in a lake, it's like oh that thing's getting away. I better I better I better grab that. You know, yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, again, it lights up something in the cerebral cortex that we don't understand. It's the color combined with how it's moving, and uh, you know, it's 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 home, it's, and or even not moving. Is it kind of like when you listen to Sabbath? Yeah, it kind of, kind of is, kind of <laughs> is, kind of just like that. A little bit of Aussie, yeah, you betcha. Um, I, this is a bit of a weird question, but I always like to ask it. Um, is there anything about the pastime of fly fishing that kind of irks you or you wish we were as a group doing differently? Ah, ah, yeah, I, I, I think maybe, maybe to agree some of the new generations of fly fishers, I think that they, they don't appreciate some of the shoulders that they're standing on when when they when they uh hmm. when they when they take to the net and they they, they get to the keyboard um they right uh, the like like again it goes back to how i and probably you as well learned how to fly fish we had to wrestle everything out we had to we had to go on treks on mud we had to go get lost and in, in going to lakes we had to we went to so many lakes and fished other lakes because we were we, we just never found what we were doing and all these different things and trials and tribulations that were, you know, sometimes awful at the time, but combined to make it into this adventure as life. Whereas instead of plugging in the GPS and searching down, I'm going to Lackland June and in June and, uh, you know, and, and plugging all that in and getting yourself something back in Google. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I think that, uh, that a lot of people are missing the true mystery of discovery in this sport and the true mystery of discovery is what makes makes true anglers i think i like what you said about standing on the shoulders because i i think of that a lot because i'm look i'm not a big historian but when it comes to fly fishing i kind of am i guess when i think about like roderick Haig brown or i think about you know the likes of brian chan some of these um even uh Oh, what was the uh, fly fish in the trout lakes? Jack Shaw. Yeah. People, oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, Gordon Honey. Yeah. You Gordon know, Honey. Uh, Hell, I used to talk uh, to Gordon all the time at Lake Lejeune. It's funny. He's just. I used to call him every week and say, "How's the fishing there?" Yeah. I did a fishing and, uh, report for the radio. Philip Raleigh. Philip Raleigh. One of Phil's, the biggest innovations that hit that yeah. hit fly fishing that made everybody a good coronamid fisher is the chromie. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things in the in the last twenty five years to hit was when he realized that gases were coming out of these things and we could imitate that. That changed the game for the coronamid angler. Mm-hmm. It really did. It really did. I mean, uh, you got to give Phil his due. And also, Phil Phil also has some of the best instructional videos I've ever seen for Stillwater. For Stillwater. He's got one he did for Orvis. I think he's got another one out now. Yeah. 
And uh, he does. I just and, had him on on the show, and we talked about it. And he, the one he did for Orvis, he talks about different lines and different retrieves, and 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 using them for 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 different bugs for and and, and explaining why and how the line is working. If if a new fly fisher took those things, it's like it's like learning martial arts. If you learn those basics, you would catch fish for the rest of your life. And I appreciate Philip for that. I mean, he's he's a, a dynamite guy for explaining things. Yeah. No, he is you know, sure. and and Brian, you know, there's nothing you can't say enough about Brian. Yeah. Brian, Brian's the man when it comes to comes to the world of fly fishing. He's nothing done nothing but great for the sport, and I've got super respect for him. Right, you yeah. know, hundred percent. But uh, I mean, uh, you can't leave out guys like uh, you know Scott Baker Magarva. I mean, in, in, around here, he's 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 legendary status. I mean, he he's you know I knew him from back in the Barry's bait and tackle days, and, mm. you know, and uh, he's the most one of the most superb casters that I've ever met. Guys like Roger Baker. I mean, he's more of a, uh, a saltwater guy, and he's real quiet, closed mouth, but he's a hell of a stillwater angler as well. And of course, you know, all these other guys, Todd Oshie, and yeah, you know, all these guys are later on. Right. But at the same time, I've done huge things for the sport, Todd, with the youth and yeah. all those things. Well, I always think about know. Fred's, Fred's uh, custom tackle there in, in Chilliwack. And, and what was that? It was a Gord's bait and tackle. That was. Uh... Well, I used to I used to go to Barry's and occasionally Ruddock's. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I used to go to Ruddock's all the time. And then I made, I became, a, be through through me being a cutthroat addict, I became uh, very good friends with Kelly Davidson. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we uh, we would always talk cutthroat. You know, we take out a time, and before you know, it, we're both late for dinner, and we're just standing there. You know. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, and he's an, another another stupendous angler, Kelly. Yeah. You know. Good so, stuff. And, so... and great man for the sport too, right? If we want to follow along on some of your uh, cutty adventures, uh, where do we where do we find you on Instagram and Facebook and all that good well, stuff? Well, right now I'm at, uh, at Great Hunter on Instagram. Yep. That's another my, my new persona on Facebook. It's put together to mock the seriousness of fly fishermen. I've not... I think that's one thing too. Is everybody's too serious? Everybody's too. I don't do this. I never get my hands dirty and this and that. And it's a blood sport, and people are going to make mistakes. Yeah, I think people got to be a little, little easier on people that make mistakes. I think also people that make mistakes got to be a little bit more manly about saying, "Hey, you know, I made a mistake." Yeah, yeah. you know, instead of trying to defend something that that in, is indefensible. So that's what the great hunter thing is about. It's it's sort of to mock the, the, uh, the, the uh, hardcore fly fisherman that that is following all the rules. He's keeping them wet, and he's uh, yeah. he's uh, releasing all wild fish, and he's doing all these things. Yet he's forgetting that uh, you know the, the basics of it all is uh, we all we all got into it to have something to eat. And if you, you know? don't make mistakes, you're not learning. That's right. That's right. And you're not pushing your boundaries, and you're not getting out on a limb. And hey, the, the greatest things happen when you're out on a limb. Sometimes it breaks too, though. So, <laughs> is there anything we haven't covered tonight that we should? I mean, is there anything no, on your I mind? Think, you I, I think, I think, uh, I think anybody who's listening to this by now is probably tired of me. So I think we're done. I, for no, I don't job, think so, sir. man. I don't think done, so. You've done are, a pretty good job. Are, are you up early tomorrow? Uh, I usually get up at about six thirty and get a rolling on. I you know, these days is my busy time. It's I'm a pool heater guy. That's my specialty. So everybody wants to swim. So oh yeah, 
Yeah, and it's been nice lately. So long weekend coming up here, and we're yeah, gonna, this I'm is gonna, my hell week. I'm airing this show just so you know. Saturday, I'm all caught up, so this is coming out this weekend. So, um, you plan on? I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I I usually stay the heck away from long weekends on the water just because it's so darn busy. But I usually try and sneak out somewhere. You got any? Uh, any? Uh, Going to chase oh, some fish yeah, this well, weekend? Well, well, we'll probably get out on... I might have to work Saturday because there would probably be some stuff that'll be left undone. Usually I work the Saturday of the long weekend, but uh, yeah. uh, we'll, uh, either we'll take the boat out for some sturgeon or uh, we'll go hunting a little bit of salt water for some cutthroat or something, I think. We've got to get out there and swing some rods, that's for sure. Are you a big sturgeon guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's the the other passion. That's... Uh, huh. I picked that up uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, we used to fish up at the Mission Hole back then. And now we fish down here, down by the Portman Bridge. You can look over into the traffic and see me and I'll wave. Is there any possible way you could catch a sturgeon on a fly? Uh, no, but there's, there was guys doing it a few years back, but they were using scented stuff on the bottom. They are reeling them up on fly rods. Right. But yes, there is. In the Columbia, it happens. Yeah. In the climate, it's clear. I've seen them swimming down there, and occasionally they'll take the fly. Hmm. I don't know if you can reel it in or not. It depends. On, I don't think you'll be having the 12 weight at that point, but if you do, you might be able to get them. On your old, uh, what, nine foot five weight? That might be a little bit challenging. Uh, well, you know, you got to play them off the reel like a big chum, right? You know, <laughs> just point the rod at it and you don't pull them in like a truck stuck in the mud, right? <laughs> Randy, I really, really have enjoyed chatting with you tonight. Thanks for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you, too. It's been my pleasure. And uh, if you ever need uh, someone else to uh, bend your ear, maybe you should give uh, give that Todd Uyashi a call. I bet you he'd have some interesting things to share with you. Yeah, but you know what? I had Todd on. and we. In fact, I turned his episode into uh, two episodes because <laughs> I did it's just it, the nuggets kept coming just like on this one so um, nice thanks for doing this man if you're ever in the uh, interior man you got my number give me a shout and we'll chase some fins okay buddy boy been chatting tonight with randy pascal uh out of coquitlam bc he's chasing cutties rainbows and hitting the skins on the drums uh fly tire and uh metalhead self-proclaimed thanks for listening tonight the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.